And so let me have you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and I'll be reading uh, through verse 13. You'll recall last time I preached specifically on verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And now this evening I'm going to focus again what I taught on in Sunday school in verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And we're going to talk about Christian zeal, not only tonight, uh, but in the months ahead as we gather together for prayer. But let's begin in verse 1. And hopefully this will bring to your mind what we've talked about already through these verses. As the Apostle Paul has expounded on the gospel, it leads him to praise at the end of verse or chapter 11 and then to present himself to God in verse 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. As I said this evening, I want us to look at the subject of godly zeal as we direct our time to pray for these things. And primarily in regard to this verse that we see in Romans 12, verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And this is really kind of a a follow-up on what I taught on in Sunday school. If you weren't here when I taught on that, it was February the 12th, 12th during our Sunday school hour. You can get that Uh, lesson on sermon audio in which we talk generally about godly zeal and what that looked like. Uh, But I want to take our time during corporate prayer over the next several months 
to talk more about zeal and being zealous for the Lord. There's a particular book that I came across some time ago called Living Zealously by Joel Beakey and James LaBelle. And I would encourage you to purchase that book and read it. It is filled with, as you're familiar with Joel Beakey, and his study of the Puritans. It's filled with uh, quotes from the Puritans about godly zeal and uh, teaching according to these things. And it's really a, a helpful book. It's, it's one of the, the only, say, newer books that I'm aware of um, that talks about this particular subject, of being fervent in spirit for the Lord, being zealous for the Lord. And so it's a very helpful Book And so I want to take some of the content of that book as I've been reading it and considering some of these things and, and discuss them together and uh, um, speak about Christian zeal. Um, in the book, uh, Joel Beakey and LaBelle define zeal in this way. Christian zeal is a purposeful stirring and inflaming of the affections. It is a holy passion which, like a magnifying glass that concentrates the sun's rays into a single point of light, captures the believer's affections and drives them, drives those affections toward a specific biblical goal. Of course, the ultimate goal is the glory of God. Uh, But there are other goals as well toward, uh, as we're zealous for the Lord, things that are the will of God. And so you'll notice that when we talk about Christian zeal, we're talking about the stirring of, of the affections of the heart, the inflaming of the affections, our love for God, our desire for His glory, our desire for His name to be hallowed, treated as holy. And then flowing from that is a life that is zealous for various things, for good works that bring glory to God. For love of the brethren, being devoted to one another in love. For holiness in the life of the believer. A zealousness for the purity of the church. And so we're talking about, again, the inflaming of the affections. Godly affections. And Christian zeal is the stirring of those things. We don't want to be cold, but we want to be, as we often say, on fire for the things of God. And so this evening, I want to talk about the marks or characteristics of godly Christian zeal. And in chapter one of the book, Living Zealously, uh, they speak of some of the marks of Christian zeal. Uh, I'll just say Beakey, since there are two who wrote it and his name is first. Joel Beakey says this, Christian zeal is distinguished by its characteristics or identifying marks. Where these fruits are found, either in us or others, we can be sure that sacred or holy zeal is at the root. Where these characteristics are absent, whatever a person might claim, true zeal is missing. And so he he speaks of what some of these characteristics and distinguishing marks of Christian zeal uh, are. And so let's begin with this, the first mark of Christian zeal is love for God. Love for God. Christian zeal is marked by the inflaming of the affections. Love for God. 
Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And he is quoting that from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all that you are. And so notice the four parts, so to speak, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And notice the intensity, again, of this love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. When we love God, we will be zealous for Him. And so this is really the first mark of zealousness for God, this Christian zeal. It's marked by a love for God. Again, in the book, it says, because both the author and object of Christian zeal is the living God, the zealous Christian is possessed with a fervent love for God that, notice these parts of it, that craves God's presence, grieves when God's name and calls suffer injury, and is indignant toward those who oppose and obstruct God's honor. So it's possessed with a fervent love that craves God's presence. Now recently in Philippians 4 verse 5, you remember I preached on that phrase, the Lord is near. He's near to his people. He is present with them to bless them. And this godly zeal that is marked by love for God craves the presence of God. And what does that mean? It's, it's not just an ambiguous phrase. It means that we want to walk in the presence of God. Remember Coram Deo, that Latin phrase, before the face of God, all of life is to be lived before the face of God, in the presence of God. That we're not trying to please ourselves. We're not trying to please one another. Ultimately, we're trying to please the one who is near to us, the one who has saved us. And so we crave to walk in a manner that is one who is walking with God, craving His presence in the sense that we desire for Him to bless us as we seek to glorify His name. But this fervent love for God that marks Christian godly zeal, it's also grieved when God's name and God's cause suffers injury, when when somehow the name of God is defamed. When it's not hallowed as it should be, then there's this affection, this emotion, let's say, of of being grieved over that. And it's indignant toward those who oppose and obstruct God's honor, those who are opposed to God, who seek to somehow thwart His glory. Then there is a righteous indignation. Notice again the inflaming of the affections that comes out of love for God, a craving, a grieving, an indignant uh, anger toward those then who would oppose the honor of God. We see this in the Lord Jesus in John chapter 2. When they were the money changers were misusing the, the temple. And he drove them out. And it says in John 2 verse 17 that his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was zealous 
for the glory of God. He was zealous for the name of his father, that it would be hallowed and and treated with honor and treated as holy, and that the house of God would be used to his glory. And when there were those who were misusing it, he was righteously indignant toward that. We see that in the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, when he's in Athens. And it says, while he was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he's noticing all these false gods that the people worshipped, and he was provoked in his spirit within him. He was indignant toward those who opposed and obstructed the glory of God, these false gods that people would bow down to. And so it led him to, to proclaim the gospel to them. We see this inflaming of the affections that we talked about last month during our corporate prayer. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And so we see that Christian zeal is marked by love for God, first and foremost. But then secondly, another mark of Christian zeal is this. Christian zeal is ruled by Scripture. It's ruled by Scripture. Again, in the book, Living Zealously, Beaky writes this, As opposed to that false zeal for God, to which Paul refers in Romans 10 verse 2, sacred zeal is according to the knowledge to knowledge, and therefore kept within the compass of the rule of Scripture. Remember in Romans 10 verse 2, Paul said, I testify about them, speaking of his kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jewish people, that they have a zeal for God. They were zealous for God. But it wasn't in accordance with knowledge. What God had revealed about himself and about the way of salvation, they weren't living according to what God had revealed. So it wasn't according to true knowledge. But sacred zeal is according to knowledge. Therefore, what, how do we know God? How do we have a sure knowledge of God? It's in the sacred scriptures. So the scriptures rule our zeal. In the book, Beaky writes, If we are to honor and serve God, whom we fervently love in zeal, we must know what His will and good pleasure are. That requires us to have constant regard for His word. The Jewish zeal referred to in Romans 10 verse 2 was zeal for God, but it fell short of being sacred zeal because it knew nothing of the knowledge of God's righteousness, which the Jews should have known from the word itself. It goes on to say, Christian zeal is founded on and consecrated to the knowledge of the truth. For the Holy Spirit, with the grace of zeal, brings a suitable view of God and his cause into the heart so that when the affections are inflamed, they understand the channel in which they are to flow. Such knowledge of divine truth distinguishes this zeal as sacred zeal. So again, it's ruled by Scripture. Christian zeal is ruled by the Word of God. So if we're to be zealous for God, we must love Him. But how do we love Him? And who is the one that we love? Well, we know that by sacred Scripture. In Psalm 40, verse 8, the psalmist says, I delight to do your will, 
Oh my God, your law is within my heart. There's a zealousness for God, but it is ruled by Scripture. What is the will of God? What is the moral law of God? We have to search the Scriptures. Again, this was characteristic of Jesus as he walked this earth. He was zealous for God, and he was zealous for the will of God. He said in John 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 4, verse 34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In the context there, you remember in John 4, he's speaking with the Samaritan woman, and he's speaking the truth to her. He's revealing to her who he is as the one sent from God, the Savior, the Messiah. And the disciples are off gathering food and they come back and they want him to eat. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, of course, Jesus came to do the will of the Father in the sense that he came to be the Savior. To fulfill the law for us. But in like manner, as those who are disciples of Christ, who have placed our faith in him, we also desire to do the will of him. Our God, we should be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And so we have to know what the Word of God says. It's ruled by Scripture. And so we see that Christian zeal is marked by love for God. It is ruled by Scripture. But a third mark of Christian zeal is that it is devoted to good works. It is devoted to good works. Titus 2 verse 14 says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And here's how we are described. This is what is to characterize us as those who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. Now, we don't, we're not zealous for good works in order to be saved. We can't do good works in order to justify us and reconcile us to God. We fall short of the glory of God. We've broken His law. But yet, good works for those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone in the Lord Jesus, we are zealous for that. In Titus chapter 3, Paul reminds Titus, that we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But then he reminds them of the salvation of God in Christ. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's all of grace, not by works. But then He says this, as those who have been saved by grace, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you, Titus, to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in. To, it means the, that phrase translated engaged in there means 
to strive for, be devoted to good deeds. So we don't do good deeds to be saved, but as those who are saved by grace, now zealous for God, we're devoted to good works, to the glory of the God who has saved us. As Beaky writes, the zealous soul is continually saying to itself or to others, what shall I render to the Lord? This is the Romans 12 verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we're zealous for good works. And when we are zealous in this way for good works, we're not ashamed of the power of God in the gospel which has transformed our lives. Again, the focus is in us. We're zealous for God. We love Him and we want Him to be glorified. So now we're devoted to good works, but it's not that it would draw attention to us. As Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. We're not ashamed for people to see the good works, but the purpose is, as Jesus said, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we should not, as Jesus said, put that light under a bushel. No, we're zealous for God to, for, for the world to see what God has done, what He is bringing about and working in us that is holy. As it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. There a phrase referring to those who have not placed their faith in Christ. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so we are to be zealous for good works. That's a mark of Christian zeal. And we want to stir up others to be zealous for good deeds. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So Christian zeal is devoted to good works, to the glory of God. Not ashamed to let the light shine, so to speak, that God has wrought in us for His glory and to stir that up in others. So then, Beeky says this is a fourth mark of Christian zeal. Christian zeal begins with self-examination. Sincere self-examination helps prevent the error of hypocrisy. John Evans said this, The first and principal province of Christian zeal is in relation to ourselves and to other people in the second place. Beaky writes, this means that zeal's first business is at home where it must keep up the fervor of its own spirit in the intensity of personal obedience. If we fail in this, we are no better than hypocrites who are content to point the finger at others. And so Christian zeal begins with self-examination. What is the state of my 
soul, my relationship to Christ? What is the state of my walk? As Jesus said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, there's a log in your own eye. And Jesus said, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In Romans 12, as we've gone through that passage, Paul said it like this, For through the grace given me, I say to you, to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment. You need to examine accurately the state of your, of your own heart, your own soul. And because the zealous Christian is concerned about himself and his own sin, first and foremost, he's therefore open to correction. He's open to rebuke from others. And he welcomes it. See, when you're zealous for God... And that's marked by love for God, ruled by Scripture, and you're devoted to good works. You want God to be glorified by the fruit He is producing in your life. Then you examine yourself and you welcome the body of Christ and others to correct when necessary. Because you have an eye to yourself. And you're thankful when others will help direct you. Beaky and LaBelle says that Another attribute of true zeal is its willingness to be admonished by others just as it is careful in admonishing others. So Christian zeal begins with self-examination. But having done that, another mark of Christian zeal is that it cares about others. This is not a zeal that's simply inward and private, But giving attention to one's own soul, one's own sin, repenting of sin and growing in sanctification, then the zealous Christian does look from self to others. Beaky writes, Christian zeal is not to be confined at home. It begins at home to your own personal life, but it has a, a wider scope. So how is this zeal for others, caring about others manifest? When we're zealous for God and growing in Christian zeal, then first and foremost, there's a concern for the salvation of others who do not know Christ. You can hear the zeal in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 when he says, I'm telling the truth, I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And he says in Romans 10 verse 1, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And so how is this concern for others Manifested first by a concern for their salvation. But it's also demonstrated by a desire to see others who have been saved by the grace of God to live zealously for the glory of God. So Beaky writes, second, sacred zeal earnestly desires that others live in fruitful obedience to the Lord. Zeal for the Lord not only makes us keep His commandments, 
but also longs to see others keep them. See, when someone says, oh, well, this is just my personal private faith, that's not zealousness for God. Because one of the marks of Christian zeal is that I want him to be glorified not just in my life, but in the lives of the whole body of Christ, all believers. Again, Beeky writes, at the center of our desire for the obedience of others is our desire that they turn from sin. We may find it extremely difficult to admonish close friends or relations to turn from sin. We would rather overlook or excuse their sins, if not absolve them altogether. And he says, zeal is our remedy against this tendency. What he's speaking of there is, it's very hard to care for others and love others to the point that you're willing to, at times, admonish them. And when they go astray, to, to bring them back. And especially when it comes to, he says, to our own relations, to our own family members. Especially those in our own household. And so sometimes we want to, and it's, it's not zealous for the Lord to just turn our backs and say, well, that's okay, we'll just leave that alone, we'll ignore the sin in others. No, he says zeal for God is a remedy against this tendency to just overlook, not in a godly way, but turn our eyes away from the sins of others. One Puritan said this, Pure zeal is not blinded with natural affection. He's talking about affection for our family members. But it discerns and condemns sin, though it be never so nearly resident in our kindred. We think we are being a true friend by accepting people as they are, warts and all, Beaky says. But when it comes to sin, the opposite is true. Again, a Puritan said, He loves most naturally, that is, learned to love spiritually. And he loves most sincerely, that cannot abide sin in the party loved, without some wholesome admonition. What he is saying there is, is if you want to love your family, he says love, you you love most naturally. He's talking about our, our relations, our family members. If you want to love them, then love them spiritually. That means sometimes there's a need for admonishment. So Christian zeal cares about others. Having dealt with our own hearts and and seeking to constantly examine ourselves, yes, then we're stirred up. I want others to glorify God. And how can I be used to stir them up to love and good deeds? How can I be used to build up the body of Christ, even when it's hard? And then he gives a final mark of Christian zeal. Christian zeal is constant. It's constant. And here's referring to the danger of a fluctuating zeal for God or a diminishing zeal for God. We read it this morning in our scripture reading in the book of Revelation. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said of the church at Ephesus, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. 
Their zeal for God, their love for God, the inflaming of their affections was strong at first, but had diminished. Now their love had grown cold. They had left their first love. They needed to repent. Christian zeal is to be constant. In fact, it should be constant, and if anything, it should be increasing. When we see how cold we have become, we need to heed the words of the Puritan who wrote this, We should, with tears of confusion, remember the disparity between our zealous beginnings and slack prosecution in religion. We should blush with shame and tremble with fear at the strange decay of grace and recollect ourselves and reinforce our will to proceed, proceed with vigorous constancy. We should be grieved over the coldness of heart, the diminishing of godly zeal. The Puritans would say one of the ways you have this constant zeal is to focus on what they called the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Our death is imminent. Our coming before the Lord in judgment is certain. And our eternal abode is either in heaven or our eternal abode in either heaven or hell is inevitable. And so when we keep these things that are eternal ever before us, then it will aid us in having a constant zeal for the Lord rather than a diminishing or fluctuating zeal. Sometimes the problem is that we just get sidetracked. Our, our eyes, we say, Lord, be thou my vision, O Lord, of my heart. And we, we need that desire. Be thou my vision. Keep, may I keep you ever before me and let me keep things eternal before me. There's a day in which I will die. There's a day of judgment and there's eternity in heaven or hell. And the zealous Christian strives to be constant to be zealous continuously by remembering those things that are eternal. It's when we begin to be so engrossed in the things that are temporal that now our love and our zeal for God begins to wane. So we need to keep our minds on those things that are eternal. One way to do that is to meditate on these things, to consider them. They're not necessarily pleasant things. It's not pleasant to consider the day of our death. But yet, as believers, we should be like Paul, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And there'll be a day of judgment, and even for believers, there will be a day in which we will give an account for how we have lived our lives as believers. We should keep that before us to stir us up so that we might have this verse. It's really the theme of our lives. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. It speaks of the name of Jesus. When, when we speak of someone's name, we're talking about 
the character and nature of a person. We should want everything we do in word and deed to be consistent with the character and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we speak of someone's name, we're talking about their reputation. So you can give someone a bad name. We should want whatever we do in word and deed to not give a bad reputation to the name of Christ, but to bring glory to his name. And sometimes when we speak of someone's name, we're talking about representation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ. Whatever we do in word or deed should bear the name of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, well. Everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. So do we represent Jesus well? Is how we live consistent with His character? Does it bring glory to His name? Does it bring down His reputation? Or does it glorify the character of our Savior? We keep that ever before us. And our zeal for God will be constant. So here are some of the marks of Christian zeal. It's marked by love for God. It's ruled by scriptures, devoted to good works. It begins at home, so to speak, with self-examination, but then it goes outward and caring for and stirring up others. And it's constant. It's enduring. And so I want us to pray for these things tonight, to pray for this godly zeal. And so what I want us to do is I want to call upon you men now just to pray for this particular thing and to intercede for us. And then after we do that, we'll have some specific requests that we can pray for. But I want this to be the focus. See, this is how we pray. We just don't pray. We pray according to the will of God. So we need to know, again, our prayers need to be ruled by scripture. And so let's pray these things for our own hearts. Pray this for our church. And then pray this for other churches as well. That we would be zealous for our God. So men, I would ask you to lead us in prayer. Let's bow our heads together. And let's intercede for ourselves, for our church, and for the universal church. We would be marked by this kind of zealousness for our God. Father, we thank you for the fact that we are in... Uh, zealous for you that if we're believers, we, there is godly zeal. We just desire for that to increase, for our hearts to be inflamed with godly affections and zealousness for you. Lord, for you have worked in us and are working in us that which is pleasing in your sight. And so, Father, I pray that That if that has diminished in some way, if it's not something that characterizes us, that we would examine our own hearts, maybe for some who profess to know him, yet by their deeds they deny him. They don't know you as Savior. They do not know the Lord Jesus. But Lord, if we know you, but our zeal and our love for you has waned, Lord, I pray that we would examine ourselves to see, Lord, what sin has made our hearts cold, caused our zeal for you to fluctuate and repent of those things. Father, we know this is something that you produce in us. And so we ask you, 
by your spirit, using the word to stir us up in these things. Father, I pray that we would grow in our love for you. And I pray that we'd be ruled by scripture. And the word of Christ would richly dwell within us and among us. That your word would rule in our lives, in our relationships. And that we would love your word. So Father, we pray that you would do this for your namesake. That your name would be hallowed in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.